0: Good morning. Merry Christmas. Hey, that sounded like uh, old Saint Nick back there. Hey, that was a pretty neat video, wasn't it? Little uh, little reminder about uh, how easy it is to miss Christmas. You know, we get uh, we get caught up in this time of year. We've got we have a lot of uh, family traditions. We have a lot of uh, shopping to get done. We have a lot of uh, stores to uh, walk into and malls to drive up to and parking spots to find. And uh, I think it's often the case that it's easy to miss Christmas. It's easy to forget about the, the true meaning of this time of year. Much of first century Israel missed Christmas. When Jesus came to earth some 2,000 years ago, much of the very people to whom he had come didn't know that he had arrived. Many in Israel missed Christmas. When the Messiah was born, the long awaited Savior of Israel, many in Israel did not know it. And it wasn't for lack of information. They knew plenty about the coming Messiah. Their Old Testament scriptures told them so much about him. They knew he'd come from the tribe of Judah, according to Genesis 49, verse 10. They knew that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, according to Isaiah seven fourteen. They knew the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah five two. And they knew the Messiah would be the son of David, according to Psalm one ten verse one, and Isaiah nine seven. They knew what to look for. They knew where to look for him. But when Christmas Day dawned some 2,000 years ago, most of Israel missed Christmas. And even when Jesus walked in their midst, years later, many in Israel did not believe Him to be the much-awaited Messiah. Why? Why did they miss Christmas? Why did they not recognize the Messiah when He was in their midst? Well, there might be a number of reasons that we could uh, give in answer to that question. I give three reasons. I say on the one hand, Israel missed Christmas because of their sin. The Scriptures indicate that time and time again, Israel was blinded by their sin. Their hearts were hardened. They were taken to, to greed They were taken to money. They were taken away by false teaching, by teachers and leaders who led them astray. Sin kept Israel from Christmas. Why else did they miss Christmas? Because of suffering. Israel has been a people group over the centuries that have suffered greatly. They suffered early on in their existence when they went to Egypt. They suffered again some 700 years later when they were exiled to Assyria. And 150 years after that when they were exiled to Babylon. And at the time of Jesus' birth, they were suffering at the hands of Rome, occupied by the Roman Empire, Jerusalem, under Caesar's control. They missed Christmas because they were suffering. And third and finally, they missed Christmas, not only because of their sin, not only because of their suffering, but because those things led to a sense of abandonment. Israel was blinded by her sin. She was afflicted with suffering. And this led to her becoming convinced that Yahweh God had forgotten and abandoned her. All the prophetic signs of Messiah's coming, all the prophetic signs of Messiah's birth, were ignored. Or worse, they weren't even remembered. Israel felt abandoned. They thought, why look for this Messiah if God has given us this lot in life? All the prophetic signs of Messiah's coming were ignored, or worse, they were forgotten. And such is precisely one of the schemes of the enemy of God. To erase the memory of Messiah in the hearts and minds of mankind. I contend today that Satan, God's enemy, will try to erase the memory of Messiah before Jesus' second coming, just as He did before Christmas Day some 2,000 years ago. Today I want us to consider three ways, three ways in which the enemy of God is presently, presently, trying to remove from our hearts and our minds the memory of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The title of today's message, our third and final in our Christmas series, is The Final Attempt to Erase the Memory of Messiah. The Final Attempt to Erase the Memory of Messiah. And today we look at a third and final plot uh, of the enemy of God to thwart Christ's coming. In our Christmas series, in the series The Inevitability of Christ's Advent, we've looked at different schemes, different plots, different attacks by God's enemy to prevent Advent. In the first two series messages, we we looked at the attempted murder of Jesus Christ in the first part we looked at Satan's attempts to prevent, advent, prevent Christ's coming by actually attempting to murder the Christ child. And then in the second part of our series, when we confirmed that Satan could not kill the Christ child, we saw how, what his next attack would be, and that is the corruption of Messiah's lineage. And last week, we considered the charges of illegitimacy that were brought about around Christ's birth. Satan had whispers throughout Israel, throughout Rome, that Jesus was not born of a virgin. And these whispers, these charges of illegitimacy illegitimacy made their way through the ranks. But the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. And today, we look at a third and final plot of the enemy of God, to thwart the advent of Christ. But today's message is a bit unique. Today we won't consider Satan's schemes to prevent the first advent of Jesus Christ. Today we'll consider one of the ways he will seek to prevent the second coming of the Messiah. But as we've seen before, so also we will see today Despite Satan's best attempts to stop Christ's coming, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overtake it. A wise sage once said that that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And so rather today, rather than dwelling exclusively on Israel's shortcomings, today I want us to consider how we can learn from their shortcomings. You see, Israel missed Christmas when it came. By and large, the Jewish nation, they missed it. It went past them. And even today, to a large degree, God's chosen people have still missed Christmas. Today I want us to consider what we can learn from their mistakes. Because Satan, friends, make no mistake. As I've I've said earlier, so I say again, my contention is this. Satan's purpose, his plan, is to try to erase the memory of Jesus Christ, the memory of Messiah, and He will do it at whatever expense. While Christmas Day is past, another Christmas Day looms in the future. Jesus Himself said that He would come again. He would come again to bring judgment and to bring finality to this present age. And equally so, the Bible indicates that just as Satan deceived Israel at Jesus' first coming, so also the Scriptures indicate he attempts to do the same at Jesus' second advent. So three things this morning, three things: How will Satan how will Satan try to erase the memory of Messiah? First, I want to say this: Satan will attempt to erase the memory of Messiah by escalating the lure of sinful behavior on all people, even those of faith. He will attempt to erase the Messiah by escalating the lure of sinful behavior on all people, even those of. Of faith. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3. We're going to look at a number of passages today, so you might want to be quick with your Bibles. You can also follow along on the screen behind me. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. He says this Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Paul indicates in 1 Timothy 4 that even those of the faith, even those within the Christian community, will depart from the faith in the latter days, being enticed away by their sinful by sinful temptations. Turn also over to Second Timothy five. Second Timothy five excuse me Second Timothy chapter three verses one through five. Paul again to Timothy, a second letter he writes this, similar theme. But know this, Timothy, that in the last days, the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. Commenting on these two passages and others like them, Dr. Thomas Ice writes this. He says this. He says, These passages warn believers that beliefs and lifestyles that are common in the world will enter the church and become common there as well. These passages do not speak about the general moral decline of society, which I do not doubt. Instead, it is a decline that was predicted to occur within the church as part of the apostasy. That's well said. It's not always the case that the uh, discussions that Paul has about the latter days and, and the sinful behavior and the licentious behavior that will come about. It's not always the case that Paul says it's within the church, but it's often the case that he does. And Dr. Rice is bringing that out. He's saying, look, in the last days, one of the ways, one of the ways that Satan, the enemy of God, will attempt to wipe from our memory Messiah, is by the lure of sin. Sin will grow increasingly stronger. Temptation will get stronger. Sin will grow deeper. Its roots will sink lower. Satan will deceive by means of sin, which was precisely one of the ways he kept Israel from recognizing her Messiah some 2,000 years ago. Sin will keep you from being ready when Jesus returns. Sin will keep you from being ready for Christmas part two. But our knowledge, our awareness that temptations will grow stronger and that sin will increase give us opportunity to show how alert we are. Paul also says later in First Thessalonians, he says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, But you, brethren, you, the church, are not in darkness, so that this day, the day of Christ's coming, the second coming, Christmas part 2, you're not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light. Sons of light and sons of the day. And we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be Sober. Paul says, be prepared for sin. Sin will increase as Christmas part two draws near. Feed on God's Word. Let the Holy Spirit sanctify you. Let your level of alertness rise in proportion to the level of temptation in your life. Do not let sin remove the memory of Messiah from your heart. Because Paul says, in the latter days... Some will depart from the faith. Even those within the church will have the memory of Messiah wiped clean by Satan's schemes. How will Satan try to wipe away the memory of Messiah? First, he will attempt to erase it by escalating the lure of sinful behavior on all people, even those of faith. And secondly, he will he will do it by drawing attention to the long delay of Messiah's return and calling into question the reality of His return. Take a look at 2 Peter chapter 3. This is one of my favorite passages. 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, Be mindful, Peter says, of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first that scoffers, mockers, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. We might call this the elapsed time argument. Satan will try to wipe away, erase the memory of Messiah from your hearts and mine by bringing to remembrance the great length of time it has been since Messiah has returned to earth. Satan whispers, this so-called Messiah you speak of, yeah, I remember him, that was two millennia ago, over 2,000 years ago. And you say He's coming again? Clearly He is not coming. Where is the promise of His coming? Why such a long delay? And the scoffers and the mockers berate the Christians who hold fast to Christmas part 2. Where is the promise of His coming? Barton Warren Johnson Scholar, theological scholar from the 19th century wrote this about this passage. He said this, The question is asked by the scoffers as though the coming of Christ was so long delayed that all hope was ended. They take advantage of the disappointment to try to destroy faith. The scoffers assert that the regular order of nature continues right on as it were from the beginning. And so you see at the end of verse 4, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. What that means to say is that these scoffers, these mockers are saying, Hey, look at all the great patriarchs of Israel. You know, they, they were good men. Good men of Israel. But they've come and gone. Men like Abraham, Moses, David, and so many of the prophets. Good men. But they're now gone. Nature has run its course. They've now perished, as we all will one day, such is the natural order of things. Any talk of resurrection or a second coming, well, that flies in the face of the natural order of things. Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation, so the mockers say. Friends, make no mistake. One of the ways Satan will attempt to erase from your minds the memory of Messiah is by call, calling into question the hope of your faith. By calling into question the hope of your faith. Israel wondered if God had abandoned her. She looked around and she saw sin in her midst. She saw exiles in Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and now Rome. And the Israelites in the time of Jesus' day they thought, "Hey, maybe God has abandoned us. Maybe Messiah is not coming." So also, according to First Peter, check Second Peter chapter three, the scoffers say the same thing. Where is the promise of His coming? Such a long delay. Are you not abandoned? Is He not coming? Two millennia now? And you still wait for Him? Come on. Find peace in the natural order of things. Don't await for a supernatural resurrection. A supernatural second coming. And you know, I'll be honest, uh, I think it's very legitimate to wonder why Jesus has tarried this long. I'll be honest, were a scoffer or a mocker to to mock me for my hope, my faith, in the second coming of Christ, I would understand it to a point. I would understand it to a point. Because you see, after 2,000 years, it does appear, it does appear that, well, maybe something is wrong here. Maybe... Maybe Messiah isn't coming, we might think. I think it's reasonable for Christians to wonder about this. But Peter gives the best answer we could ever, ever hope for. As Peter continues in 2 Peter 3, notice what he says. He says, scoffers will come in the last days, saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they, the scoffers, willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition, Of ungodly men. You say, what is Peter saying there? These words, they're they're too lofty for me. What does he mean? Peter says, to those who scoff at the second coming of Christ, to those who mock that he is not coming, Peter says in verse 6, remember the flood. Remember the flood. Remember the flood in the days of Noah when God mightily, mightily intervened into human history in judgment of sin. Peter goes on to say in verse 7 that that same God, by that same Word, who intervened in Noah's day, is surely coming again to bring final judgment upon the earth. It is as if Peter is saying, when the time is right, God will intervene. Tread carefully when mocking the long delay of Christ. For when the time is right, as God did in the day of Noah in the flood, so also when the time is right, God will intervene again. And Peter continues, and this is a little more clear. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but his long suffering is patient toward us, not willing. That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He goes on to say in verse fifteen, and consider this that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. That's one of my favorite statements in all of the Bible. The long suffering of our Lord is salvation. What does that mean? The apparent delay in Christ's return to earth is evidence of God's desire that all people of all tongues, of all tribes, of all nations would be brought to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? The long-suffering of God, the delay in His coming, The wait, the 2,000 year wait. Why hasn't Jesus come? Where is the promise of His coming? You know what Peter says? The long-suffering of God is salvation. The patience of God, the delay of God, brings about more people into Christ's kingdom. Why is Christ delaying? So that you and you and you and you And all those out there might come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why He has not returned. That's why He has not returned. Because there's still more souls to be saved by the blood of the Lamb. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. You know, I think as a parent... I'm I'm sure many of you can resonate with this. Um, My wife and I have often said, you know, oh Lord, if you would grant us this one request, please do not return until our son comes to faith. Have any of you parents ever prayed that prayer before about your children? A few of you. Most of you, I'm sure. And I, I, I think, oh Lord, please, you know, delay your coming just a bit longer that my son might come to faith. My future daughter might come to faith. We, we pray that prayer. I know many parents have. And we, we pray it with great sincerity. And at the same time, we want Christ to return. But we want our children to, go, to be with Him. And, uh, but you know what? It's a, it's a legitimate prayer. It's a legitimate prayer. It's a legitimate request. Because Peter says, hey, the reason why he's tearing is because more people need to come to faith. And so if you are going to ask Him to tarry a bit longer, let the only reason be that more people would come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But Satan is trying to prevent us from keeping the memory of Messiah in our hearts and minds. He's doing this in a number of ways. First, he is escalating the lure of sinful behavior on all people, even those of faith. Second, he is drawing attention to the long delay of Messiah's return and calling into question the reality of it altogether. How else is Satan attempting to erase the memory of Messiah in these last days? Third and finally, by denying the opportunity for Messiah to return as Savior of Israel, by eliminating Israel altogether. You see, that's, that's quite a statement. It's quite a peculiar statement. A lot heavier than the previous two statements we've read. But friends, uh, make no mistake, one of the chief, one of the premier ways in which the enemy of God is attempting to wipe from our minds the memory of Messiah is by persecuting the people of Israel. I want us to take a look at three selections from the book of Revelation, chapter 12. I want to walk us through this and see the implications, how important these passages are as we wait for Christmas, part two. First, a little bit of review. Two weeks ago, we we looked at this passage in Revelation 12, verses 4 and 5. And the dragon, this is a vision of John, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, And he was having an eschatological experience. He was receiving an apocalyptic vision from God Almighty. And this is what John wrote. And this vision is actually one that he had of the past. And the dragon, Satan, stood before the woman, who is Israel, who was ready to give birth to devour her child, Jesus Christ, as soon as it was born. And she, the woman, bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his, and his throne. Two weeks ago we looked at this passage. We may note of the fact that one of the enemy of God's chief ends was to murder Jesus Christ, was to kill the Christ child. That was one of His chief goals. And He did that from eternity past, even from the murder of, of Abel by Cain. Satan was at work attempting to erase the lineage that would descend down through Messiah. You read through the Old Testament, many of the murders, many of the massacres, the corruption of the lineage all due to the desire of Satan to prevent the Christ from being born. From being born. And John... The Apostle John is having a vision of this. A vision of this battle. But he sees it in the heavens. He sees it as it were from the heavenly realm. And he sees the dragon, Satan, standing for the woman, Israel, waiting to devour her child. And when the child is born, the child is caught up to God in heaven. The child was protected. The child was preserved. Satan's attempt... To murder the Christ child was foiled. But Satan became enraged after this moment. Make no mistake. The enemy of God became enraged by his inability to kill the Christ child. And so we see in Revelation 12 another battle that follows this one that is yet in the distant future and continues even now. It says this, and the war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. So the great dragon was cast out, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Woe, notice this, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. This vision by John, particularly speaking, is yet in the distant future. In particular, this is a vision John is having that would take place at the midpoint of the Great Tribulation, the great seven year tribulation. And at that midpoint, this experience is to be taking place in the heavens. But make no mistake the battle that is being waged here on this, in this passage in Revelation 12, is being waged presently in its own form, in its own right. Not to this degree, perhaps, but it is being waged. Satan and his angels are fighting against God, against Michael the archangel, and all the angels of God, and they are fighting the battle of all battles. And in Revelation 12, we see a moment in the, in, in, the, in the future, at the midpoint of the tribulation, where Satan will be cast to earth. He will be excluded from the heavens. He will be bound to earth. He will be restricted to that domain. And the voice in heaven warns... No, I'm sorry. Back up one more. I apologize. The voice in heaven warns In verse 12. Pull that back up. There we go. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. The warning from heaven is, watch out, earth. Watch out, O peoples of the earth, because now that Satan has been cast out, now that he has been... Defeated in the heavens, His wrath is being poured out exclusively on this earth. How? How is His wrath going to be poured out on this earth? The last passage in Revelation 12. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, Israel, who gave birth to the male child, So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. But the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, Israel. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Having failed to kill the Christ child, Satan now turns his attention toward eradicating the very people who have given birth to Messiah and who would receive salvation at His coming. Sound familiar? This great apocalyptic vision that we read in, John, in, in Revelation 12, this great apocalyptic vision of John is particularly in the distant future. It's going to occur at the midpoint of the tribulation. This, this, the 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 notion that the dragon will uh, pursue the woman with a flood, most likely a flood of soldiers of some kind. That the earth will God will open up the earth and will devour Satan's attempts to destroy Israel, who are fleeing into the mountains of Judea. Particularly speaking, this vision is in the distant future. But from a typological perspective, and by typological I mean there are types. We see things in their utter fulfillment, and we see things in their partial fulfillment. And from a typological perspective, we see a partial fulfillment of this in our day and age, right here, right now. The events John is describing from Revelation 12, verse 6 onward, are particularly events that will happen at the midpoint of the Great Tribulation. But while future, the actions taken by the dragon, Satan, against the woman, Israel, are indicative of what the devil has been doing since the beginning of mankind, one of the surest ways that Satan will attempt to erase the memory of Messiah from the hearts and minds of mankind, is to eradicate Israel, God's chosen people. You say, why does does Satan hate Israel so much? Well, there are a couple reasons. One, and obviously, Satan despises Israel because Jesus came from Israel. Jesus came from the Jewish people. He was a Jewish Messiah. But secondly, And perhaps most notably, Satan knows this. He knows that one of the express purposes of Jesus' second coming is to bring deliverance and salvation to Israel. Let me say that again. One of the express purposes of Jesus' second coming is to bring deliverance and salvation to Israel. And Satan thinks, if I can get rid of Israel if I can get rid of the people from whom Messiah came and to whom Messiah is coming, if I can rid the earth of them, then I can win. Then there will be no need for a second coming. For one of the express purposes of that coming is that the Messiah would come to deliver and to save His people Israel. Deliverance. Jesus Christ is coming to deliver Israel. We read about this in Zechariah 14. We won't read it this morning. He's coming to literally battle on behalf of Israel against the nations of the world who were corrupted by Satan. And salvation. Messiah is coming to bring about salvation to Israel. Romans 11, 26 and 27. So all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the the Deliverer will come out of Zion and He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is My covenant with them when I take away their sins, when I bring them salvation. And Zechariah 12.10, one of the most fascinating prophecies in all of Scripture. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on Me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for Him. As one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Zechariah, some some five, six hundred years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And he prophesies that, that one day Israel will look on Messiah whom they have pierced. And they will mourn as one mourns for an only son or grieves for a lost firstborn. They will come to saving faith in Messiah. That is one of the express purposes of Jesus' coming. And Satan knows full well this express purpose. He knows that Messiah is coming to deliver Israel and to save Israel. And so he reasons if only I may eliminate them, if only I may eliminate them before Messiah returns, then perhaps I could erase the memory of Messiah. In the hearts and minds of all mankind. If only I may eliminate them, he thinks. And thus we see Israel laid waste by the Roman Empire in 70 A.D. If only I may eliminate them, I can erase the memory of Messiah. And thus we see Hitler and Nazi Germany in the 1930s and 1940s, nearly annihilating the Jewish race. If only I may eliminate them, then perhaps I can erase the memory of Messiah from all mankind. And thus we see Israel today. Many, many nations opposed to her. Many, many, many nations threatening to wipe her from the face of the earth. If only I may eradicate them, Satan reasons. Just then could I erase the memory of Messiah from the hearts and minds of all mankind. Far from removing the memory of messiah from our hearts. Satan's attempt to rid the world of God's chosen people remind us all the more that Christmas part 2 is inevitable. It's inevitable. I mentioned in your outline, the more we see sin abound, the more we know Jesus's return is imminent. The more we notice delay in his coming, the more we know that there are others God wishes to save. The more we witness Israel's persecution, the more we know Christmas part 2 is near. Friends, this Christmas, know this for certain. The coming of Jesus Christ is inevitable. It is inevitable. None of the enemy's schemes could hold back God's greatest gift to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth some 2,000 years ago to give to each of you the opportunity to live forever with Him. And all He asked for you is that you would believe in Him. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is there any unbelievers out there this morning? I urge you to consider these words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to believe them. You won't miss Christmas. It will be the greatest Christmas gift you've ever received. And to the believers in this room, I want to remind us, don't lose sight of Christmas Part 2. Israel missed Christmas when it came. We have another Christmas that dawns ahead of us. And as sin abounds, remember, Jesus' return is imminent. As the delay in Christ's coming lengthens, don't be discouraged. Remember, that means He wants to save more. As we watch Israel persecuted throughout the centuries, take encouragement that Messiah is coming to deliver and to save. 2 Thessalonians 5, verses 5 and 6 uh, indicate that we are to be sober. We are to be alert. We are to look for His coming. Let us be sober. Let us be alert. Let us look for Christmas part 2. Jesus is coming again. Be alert and watch for His coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that Your Son, Jesus Christ, has come to earth we thank you lord that his coming was inevitable it was eternally a part of your eternal plan no scheme of the devil could thwart it we know the devil tried hard to kill the christ child and lord you protected your son we know the devil tried hard to to spoil his lineage to bring charges of illegitimacy. And yet, Lord, You showed mercy. You showed grace. You preserved the purity of Your Son. And today, Father, we see once again the enemy of God, Your enemy, attempting to erase from our minds and our hearts the memory of Your Son, the hope of Christmas Part 2. But Father, despite the rise of sin, despite the delay in His coming, despite the persecution we see with Israel, we take all of these things and it gives us hope and it reminds us and it makes us all the more sure that Your Son's coming is inevitable. I pray that no one here this Christmas season would leave this room, this sanctuary, not having come to faith in Your Son, the Savior of the world. And to those of us who know Him, who know Him by faith, may we be alert. May we not sleep nor slumber. May we wait expectantly for His soon return. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.